All right, let's welcome in Ben Portnoy, another edition of the Port Authority here on Sports Talk. Ben, formerly with the state newspaper, now with the Sports Business Journal, looking at issues all across the country related to uh, athletics and the business world. Welcome in, Ben. Hope you had a great Christmas. What's going on, guys? Appreciate you having me. Definitely uh, excited for uh, for the new year and uh, lots of bowl games and all that good stuff. For sure, for sure. So what is the mood around your office when you guys talk about the current status of bowls in college football outside of the, the playoff games? Uh, do you sense that the money is still there, that the, the interest is still there, and with the expansion coming up, what do y'all kind of foresee happening with the bowl world moving forward, say, five or ten years down the road? You know, I think the bowl system's in a really fascinating spot on, on a lot of levels. I think that, for one, you've got a system that was, you know, created for really a previous era, or maybe even two or three previous eras, if we want to go back hmm. beyond sort of the BCS and all of that, uh, that still is kind of there, but different. And I, I think that, you know, certainly players opting out has been a big piece of that. I think that, you know, the playoff has, for lack of a better term, diminished some of these New Year's Six games, or maybe they're, you, you know, perceived a little bit differently. You know, you have a couple of teams like Georgia and Florida State that are going to be playing and uh, in a normal year, right? They're, they're meeting in a both big-time New Year's, uh, New Year's Six Bowl game would, would be a big, huge deal, but uh, maybe feels like a little bit of a consolation prize and missing out on the playoff, but... I do think that bold games are starting to diversify. I, I do think that they're looking at kind of how they can expand their roles and their realms and what they do. And I think that, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see some, some bold start to dip into some other things and, uh, you know, sort of give themselves reason to exist beyond just, uh, you know, the one game a year. Hmm. What do you foresee there? What could they do? Well, you know, I think a good example is, is the Duke's Mayo Bowl is a good example, and the folks at the Charlotte Sports Foundation who do run that game are a good example. They put on, you know, a handful of basketball tournaments this year. Obviously had uh, Iowa and Virginia Tech play with Caitlin Clark in town in Charlotte earlier this year and put that on uh, the Jumpman Invitational not too long ago, but just a couple of weeks ago um, with UNC and Michigan and a couple other teams. So uh, Oklahoma, I believe, too. So, you know, you've seen them go into this sort of, I guess, event management space is maybe the best way to describe it. Um, putting on things beyond just bowl games and then some of these corporations that are sort of underneath the bowl games uh, have sort of diversified their assets and looked at other ways that they can be involved, you know, 365 days a year again, because bowl games are certainly a big profit. Um, you know, they bring in lots of profits, they bring in a lot of money, but, but they do also only happen once a year. And I think that, you know, like any business, when you try to diversify your assets, you want to look for things that fit. And I think that, you know, that's just a, a small example of one that uh, I think makes a lot of sense for a lot of, a lot of places and a lot of uh, companies. So I think uh, the big story that shook the world last week was the news about, well, actually, I guess if you go chronologically, the ACC sued Florida State first or took the first court action and then Florida State uh, turned around and announced it. Um, was that last week or the week before? Uh, my weeks have run together with the holidays. Well, the most recent thing to happen that, that has shaken up the college sports world. So in, in Florida State, um, you know, they're trying to have their thing heard down in Florida, down in Leon County. It's been assigned to a judge down there. Uh, ACC wants it heard in North Carolina. Um, this This sounds like an ugly – divorce happening it sounds like you know they each need to call those uh, those divorce lawyers out of missouri 
that uh, that only work for men or only work for women um, and, and let them go head-to-head with this thing. Uh, you see any any um, way either side can save face with this? I mean, is, is Florida State going to get what they want? Is the ACC going to keep hold their feet to the fire and keep them wrapped into, into the league? What's going to happen? Well, I, I would say that it, it dates back a little bit, right? You know, kind of like you mentioned, this, this timeline isn't exactly new. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, Florida State's been sort of yelling and, and screaming and kind of shouting from the rooftops that they had issue with the ACC in, in a number of different ways. You know, it started out with revenue distribution. The ACC has gone and, and sort of taken on this new way of distribu- distributing revenue that will go into effect, I believe, next year. Um in which teams with sort of more on-field success will be divvied up. Uh, we'll have a pot of revenue that will be divvied up amongst those teams that basically bring in um, the most success on the field. Uh, you go again, now moving forward, Florida State has, has obviously had issues with, with the ACC in the past and you know where it stood in terms of uh, college football and, and the hierarchy there. And, and I think you're seeing this is sort of just the latest thing in that sort of saga. Now, I think you're right. I think this feels like a divorce waiting to happen. Now the question is, how does that actually happen? And is it going to happen, you know, two years from now? Is it going to happen five years from now? Is it going to happen six months from now? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. There's a lot of lawyers trying to figure that out. But um, I, I think that, you know, to my understanding and speaking with folks in the ACC office and and, and who are around this all the time, I, I think they feel that this grant of rights is airtight. I mean, they feel that this is, a document that is binding and that Florida state's defense is functionally, you know, in so many words, we signed a bad deal and we want to get out of it. And, and I don't know that that's not, you know, certainly there are lawyers and others that, that have degrees in this field and, and are more experts on the legal side of this than I am. But, but I do think that you're in a situation where Florida state legally speaking, and at least when you look at their legal standing is probably a little bit of a weak case, but I do think that if the case is heard in Tallahassee, uh, and all of that comes with that, um, you know, that will be a that will be an issue to uh, to monitor at the very least. You know, and as long as Florida State stays in the league, now that this legal action is taking place, though, think about this: you're a Florida State fan. Every sporting event that you play that has ACC officials, at any call that goes against you, I mean, you know what the the common fan's going to think? See the ACC office; they're they're trying to stick it. To the Seminoles because of this lawsuit, we can't get a we can't get a fair call. We can't get any kind of uh, even handedness here. Uh, now that we're still in the ACC, but we got this lawsuit going in. I think I mean, you know, the, the perception of the F- Florida State faithful will be that the league office is a, is against them, not only off the field but on the field. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think that you know, you look at there will certainly probably be revisionist history if Florida State goes out and is killed by Georgia in a, you know what a couple of days. I, I think that's fair. I think that's going to happen, and that's just kind of how we are as, as a society, right? A little bit, but I do think mm-hmm. that it, it's a messy situation in that again, Florida State ha, has done a lot of sort of grandstanding and saber rattling about this without any real intention or ability to get out of this now. You know, something that came up in the board meeting that Florida State had just last week, I guess it was on Friday, uh, right before Christmas, naturally, because the news never slows down. But (laughs) I do think that, uh, you know, one thing that was brought up was that this is something that Florida State's been looking at for a year. I mean, they've been gathering information and preparing for this lawsuit for about a year. Now, you know, take that with a grain of salt, and maybe it hasn't been quite a year, but I do think that, 
you know, that this, this is something that Florida State has clearly been doing their homework on and preparing for. Uh, those in the ACC have been doing the same thing. Uh, again, I think the other part to this that's really important to note is that uh, there's an ESPN option in the deal uh, that the ACC has signed with ESPN uh, that would extend it for nine years uh, through 2036, as we had all sort of perceived that that was when the deal would end. But the option actually is in tw- after 2027. So, if we're talking about, you know, what, two, three years down the line, is ESPN going to re-up and take that option if Florida State's not part of the ACC? The answer is probably not, or it will look very different, right, because the ACC is going to be worth a different number with, with Florida State out of the fold probably. So I, I think that, you know, those are pieces of this that are still yet to be determined and still have to be monitored. And I think, uh, again, it's a really, really messy situation that uh, does not seem to be getting any cleaner. Support Authority with Ben Portnoy of the Sports Business Journal here tonight on Sports Talk. And Ben, sort of sticking with the Florida State situation, two-part question for you. First off, they found a judge who is actually a two-time alumnus of Florida State University to hear the lawsuit. So uh, obviously they found a very friendly judge. First off, how can that, that be? And wouldn't he be forced to recuse himself from that because of his bias clearly towards Florida State? And secondly, the lawsuit's if I'm not mistaken, alleges that the ACC has violated multiple state laws. Is that an indication that they've talked to other people in the Atlantic Coast Conference, i.e. Clemson and other schools, and they want to sort of lump everybody in as opposed to just saying, hey, look, this violates Florida state law, which would make more sense to me if it's only Florida state's problem. But it sounds like they've tried to pigeonhole this into a situation where it's not just Florida state's problem, but it may be Clemson's problem, and it may also be NC state's problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll start on the back end of what would happen here probably in that, look, if Florida State gets out of the grant of rights, you will probably see other teams leave. And uh, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's really a secret, right? There's plenty of teams, uh, you know, schools, I should say, Clemson being one of them, North Carolina being one of them, uh, that were against adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU uh, not too long ago. And there's clearly some turmoil there, whether that's you know public or private, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that said – as far as the legal statutes and where these things were filed, again, like I'm not a legal expert, but I, I can tell you that in my sort of understanding of this and, and the reading, talking to people who are experts in this, uh, you know, Florida State would file this under state law because it would be something that could be heard uh, in Tallahassee, presumably by a favorable judge, right? Right. They would file this. If it's filed in federal court, that becomes, you know, a, a more of a crapshoot on whether a judge is going to listen to your argument or not. Now, if you file it in state court and fi- say that, you know, I believe one of the things that uh, Florida State's alleging is that, that the ACC basically violated antitrust law, uh, the state, state of Florida's antitrust law, uh, by not sort of doing its due diligence and getting them a better deal for the grant of rights, or excuse me, for the, the media contract that it ultimately signed with ESPN. Um, you know, that's in state court, again, because Florida State – in theory, would get a more favorable judgment, a more favorable judge, which in this case on paper at least seems that way. Uh, and it's a way to keep it out of federal court. Now, like you mentioned at the top, the ACC has filed its own lawsuit in, in Mecklenburg County in Charlotte and basically said that, uh, as I understand it, basically in hopes of saying this is not a Florida issue. This is a, uh, if this is an ACC issue, this is something should, that should be heard in Charlotte. And it's kind of the same argument, right? You know, they wanted to have it heard by a judge that would be, in theory, more favorable toward the ACC. So it's sort of a game of, like, where are we going to play this game? Um, And I think that, you know, you're seeing that fight, and I don't think it's going to be – it's not going to be clear necessarily very quickly, but uh, there should be a hearing here soon at some point to to get something – some of that settled. 
Sort of shifting gears back to your comments earlier about the uh, bowl situation with Phil was asking you about where, where we'll be five, ten years down the road. With regards to actual fans showing up to the bowl games, and I'm sure every single bowl game would love to have a packed house, 65,000, 70,000, whatever it is at whatever stadium. But in, in all honesty, do the bowls need fans to actually come, or are they better served as long as it's on ESPN or Fox or CBS? They're happy with the TV deal. And how important are us fans actually going to the games? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's frankly not all that different than, you know, what we see day to day in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, regular season, right? Like, the reality is the money in college sports right now is coming from media rights deals. It's coming from putting games on TV, streaming, you know, whatever iteration comes next, right? And I think that the butts in seats part of the argument is certainly a big part of it, but you're also seeing why stadiums are shrinking in size and, and you know, attendance has gone down most places. And, and some of that's a product of, you know, people wanting more luxury seating, people wanting to watch games from their couch, et cetera, et cetera. And I think bowl games aren't immune to that, right? Like, I think that, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I would bet that if you look at bowl attendance over the last 10 years, it's probably declined. But the flip side of that is that the money has probably gone up as far as TV revenue. Right. Um, now, it, it's sort of this weird inverse relationship where you might have less people in the stands, but you're still making more money because people are watching it on TV. And I think that, you know, that's kind of where we're at in the bowl argument. And I think that college football, college sports, and frankly, sports at large are, are kind of in this weird dynamic of people want to go to games, but if they want to, go, if they go to a game, they want it to be, feel like they're sitting on their couch. And I think that that's. It's a really interesting dynamic, and I think it's one we're not going to see a resolution on probably for, you know, whatever, 5, 10, 20 years, whatever that might be, uh, because we are seeing such a generational shift on that front. Yeah, excellent point, excellent point. Uh, we're going to let you go. Uh, beautiful picture on your Twitter on your Twitter page, your X page, formerly known as Twitter, of you and the family from your, from your Christmas. So it looks like the Portnoys and others got together and had a big time. They did. They did. It was definitely uh, lots of uh, lots of cheer to be had. So it was a uh, it was a very nice time, and then glad to catch a few days off and uh, gearing up uh, to head to Houston for the national title game here next week. So looking forward to it. Oh, great! Well, we look forward to having you next week. We'll uh, get your thoughts on that and other developments between now and then. But have a happy new year. Ring it in safely, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Ben. Awesome. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. That's our man, Ben Portnoy. You can follow Ben on X, formerly known as Twitter. How, how much longer do we have to say that? Can't we just say X? I think you're the we only one that says say that. Formerly known yeah, as Twitter. Exactly. You can just call it Twitter. Let's call it Twitter. Yeah, let's just keep, keep calling it Twitter. It's Especially name since you is yelled at X. Elon Musk. The domain is still Twitter. <laughs> Everything else is still Twitter. It's okay but to call it Twitter. its name is X. It's and called X. You go by what somebody wants to Twitter or X or Mm. Elon. Might as well just let Mm. it go. Since you yelled at him a couple of times about our poll questions not working, I have. I don't know. It's been fixed, (laughs) or maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't. I don't think I am. Anyway, you can follow Ben uh, at bportnoy15 at bportnoy15, and he does a great job. We appreciate him spending time with us. You can read his writing at the Sports businessjournal.com. Yeah, he's so much smarter than us, it's not even funny. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, And he talks a lot faster than us. He gets a lot more done in a shorter amount of time.